having some fun with the movie themes, and we'll kind of tell you each week what the next week is, and, and uh, you can have as, as much fun as you might like to have with those. So, Ninja Turtles. I remember like playing with these guys and watching the cartoons and being kind of into the Ninja Turtles. I remember getting a gift card. Um, for my birthday, I think it was my sophomore year of high school, so I'm telling you, like, I was a little bit of an older Ninja Turtle nerd in high school. Um, and I remember going out straight from the birthday party to Toys R Us at the time and getting myself one of these turtles. So I was kind of into these type of things. And if you know turtles, you'll know that the way they mutated or became what they became is starting to were regular turtles, just little turtles. And as all of these things happen, some incredible uh, chemistry event happened, and they eventually became these turtles. And then Master Splinter had to teach them their craft of being ninjas. Now, I almost was able to convince Mike Hay back here, our events coordinator, to come up on stage and to, uh, to do ninja moves uh, during that song. But uh, he said, no, and since he, he can't beat me up, um, I just have to kind of go with it. But Mike's a fifth degree black belt, so uh, so he knows a few moves, one or two. One time I got one of those moves right across my face in class. <laughs> but what we want to talk about this morning in reality is change, in life change. And let me just ask you a question. Have you ever had a point in your life where you said, I gotta really make a change? It could be anything in your life. Like maybe at some point at the end of the month you're trying to get everything paid and you look like at your checkbook or your banking account and just the status you're in and what you still have to take care of and you just say that something has to change in the finances. Something has to change. Can't continue down the same path. Or, or maybe at some point in time the way you, you recognize when you're interacting with your spouse and the level maybe even of volatility that, that is just going on in there and you say to yourself, Something has got to change in this marriage. Something has to change in this relationship. We can't just keep processing things the same way. It might be as simple as you're driving your car down the road and something is thumping or moving. Um, and I have like a 1990 Honda Accord that you may not know, but the treasurer of our church, Jim Bethune, sold me that car for $1. Now, if you've ever bought a $1 car, <laughs> you're going to know it quickly becomes more than $1. Because of the things you have to do to the car that you can save on the road. And you say to yourself, something has to change here. Um, or I will be in a ditch on the side of the road. Have you ever asked yourself that question? I think that. What's got to change? What's got to be different in my life? I think we all come to that. In fact, I think if we're honest, most of us say that kind of thing almost on a weekly basis for something. Now let me ask you this before we really dive into it. Have you ever just taken the whole view of your whole life and said something has to change in my life? Something has to change. I can't keep walking my life, processing things the same way I've been processing life. I seem to always end up in situations, uh, hard situations, whether it be finances or relationships or uh, whatever the case may be. I keep getting myself into these situations. Something has to change holistically in my life. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We're talking about this issue of transformation. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to just briefly share with you a story that might be very, very familiar to you. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, tells the story of, uh, 
of somebody that we can't even have a song for, though I won't sing it for you this morning. It's a story of Zacchaeus. Now, if you remember the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but he was a Jewish tax collector. Now, let me just step back and explain that for just a second. You see, the Roman Empire had come in and kind of taken over. They were the bosses. They were running this whole area that describes the people of Jesus' day. So all the Jewish folks that, uh, in the day where they lived there, the Roman Empire actually had control. Now, the Roman Empire was very, very smart. Instead of just coming in and deciding, hey, we're just going to take over here by force, they did some of that. We're going to come in, we're going to take over more by culture and finance. And so, just piggybacking off the, the, the Greeks who had previously run the show there, the Romans came in and started to establish their political system. Started to establish their way of life and how they did things. Now, they were a little more aggressive in how they did things, but the Roman Empire basically got to the point where they controlled the whole area. And one of the things that they would do is they would take certain Jewish people who might have, have fallen out of favor with their, their fellow Jews, and they would put them into certain positions. And they would basically be working for the Roman government. Tax collector was one of these positions. Now, as you think about sometimes the IRS and your tax collecting today, and you don't always think about it favorably, right? Think about it in this day, where it was very unregulated. You take somebody who's kind of fallen out of favor with, with their Jewish brothers and sisters, and you put them in charge of collecting the taxes from their Jewish brothers and sisters. It was a tough position. But here's the thing. The Roman Empire, they, they made a nice incentive. What they said, look, here's what I want you to do. You go and collect the percent that we would like, and it was pretty hefty in the 40 to 50% range. You go collect the percent, that, the percent that we would like you to collect, and here's what you can do. You can tack on whatever percent you think you can tack on and you can get, and you can keep it for yourself. Wide open, kind of unregulated that way. That was the perk that the Roman Empire would put on it for tax collectors, these Jewish tax collectors. Zacchaeus was one of these guys. And so he would tax, he would get the taxes for the Roman Empire, but he would put on whatever he wanted to put on. Top of that, and the Bible actually tells us he was a very, very rich person. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. So you, you got the setting there, right? Jesus is coming into town, and by this point in Jesus' ministry, when Jesus came into town, people came to see what was going on, right? Uh, I passed the Coliseum when I'm headed to the gym. I always know when something's happening at the Coliseum because it's pretty tough to get through there. The bigger the name, right, is packed out. The whole Coliseum, people want to come. Think about Jesus in these terms. At this point in his ministry, he would draw a pretty significant crowd if a rumor came that he was going through town. So here we find that Zacchaeus wants to come, and he wants to just see Jesus. Now, don't read too much into the story at this point. Don't read into it that he desires to have his life changed and transformed to be a new man. Maybe, but the scripture doesn't tell us that. It just tells us that he was curious, he was intrigued, he wanted to kind of know. You know what's really uh, neat, and the people I enjoy 
the most sometimes spending uh, time at lunch or coffee with is those people that come to Wendover Hills and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian or I'm not really into all this God stuff yet, but I'm really curious. I just, I kind of want to know what is love about? What is it you talk about? Who is this Jesus? And that's really what we know for sure Zacchaeus was interested in. So we find that because of his stature, he had a hard time, and his crowd seeing over the shoulders in front of him, and so he climbs up in a tree. And we pick it up here where Jesus talks in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down, and he, he, happily, he was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble. He has gone to be a guest of one of those sinners. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I'll give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times as much. So when Jesus saw him in the tree, recognizing who he was and what he was after, he looked at Zacchaeus and he said, Come down from that tree. I need to go spend some time with you today. Now, when I was younger in college, this was really just like my favorite verse in all of the Bible because this was a verse that gave biblical credence of inviting yourself over to a meal at somebody else's house. Is where you come down, I'm going to your house, and we're eating. And in college, that served me really, really well. In fact, my first, my first email account was free two meals uh, at somethingsomething.com because uh, I was just that good at getting meals. But it's all biblical. It's all biblical. It's right here comes down and he spends time with Jesus. Now, the crowd, uh, others, they begin to grumble and, and they didn't like the idea of Jesus spending time with these type of characters. And then just like that, what we find at the end of this, this chapter is that Zacchaeus comes out transformed. He's a totally different person. Completely transformed. Have you ever wondered what in the world went on in that house during that time Jesus was there? I mean, what did Jesus say? How did Jesus get into the conversation? What challenge did Jesus put before Zacchaeus? What did he do? Do you remember the mystery of, of the time when a woman caught in adultery is put before Jesus and he bends over and he writes on the ground and one by one the religious leaders go away and it's just Jesus left with the woman? What did Jesus write in the sand? This is just as mysterious here. What is it that Jesus said to somebody who was a tax collector and hated? And then he went out saying, not only, not only will I pay back, not only will I make right, I'm doing it four times. You ever had a debt? You ever had something you had to pay back to somebody? You borrowed a little something and you needed to pay it back, right? Have you ever in your life said, I will pay you back double? How about that? Is that fair? I'll pay you back four times, is what Zacchaeus says. It's one thing saying, hey, i got to make right what I did. It's altogether different what Zacchaeus says. He has transformed entirely what happened in that time Jesus was in front of him. Here's one thing we do know. Zacchaeus spent time with Jesus. Zacchaeus and Jesus together spent time. However long that time was, and Zacchaeus emerged as somebody brand new. Think about you going over to the car wash and you've got your your Jeep that you got all muddied up because you went you know out in the, the dunes after a rain and you just had a real good time, right? And you pull up to the front, in about a hundred feet, that car will look dramatically different than when it goes in. 
And when I was little, I, I never had any idea what happened in the car wash. I just know it went in and it was clean on the other side. Now, whenever we have the chance for four dollars, you can get your car wash and you can ride through it and you can see everything that goes on in the transformation process. Zacchaeus spent time with Jesus and he was a new person entirely. You know, I had this couple, like many couples, and the man came to me one time and he said to me, like many uh, men come or, or, or uh, the wife comes, came to me and he says, listen, I just got to talk to you about my marriage. Um, it is just not, it's just not working how, how it's going right now. It's just, I just don't see how we can continue and function this way. And I, I, I said to him, well, tell me a little bit more about it. Just talk about what's going on in this marriage. And he said, um, well, we're separated. And um, we don't really see each other anymore. I said, well, okay, but you probably talk a little bit and, and, we, and you interact a little bit. And no, no, we're really not. We're really not spending any time together at all. No communication. Uh, you know, not, well, I mean, do you ever find yourself at least like going back over the things in your marriage? You know, like the, the letters you wrote to each other or pictures you did. No, I kind of got rid of all that stuff. Or it's there. It's there. It's in a box somewhere. It's, it's on a shelf somewhere. I, I just, I just haven't really processed through any of that. And you're imagine me sitting there going, okay, you have no interaction. You have no even nostalgia you look back on to think through your marriage and think through. And so I said, well, are you seeing anyone yourself? Are you talking to anyone about how they might be able to help you? A counselor, somebody, just a wise person that might have gone through something like this? No, I mean, to, to be honest, it hadn't even gone with me to talk to anyone else about this. It's kind of the first step that I just coming to you and even saying this. I mean, can you imagine, as I'm sitting there as a pastor saying, okay, there's no communication, there's no nostalgia, you've got no plan in place, you haven't talked to a professional that might help you or anything like that. You know what I'm thinking? Your marriage is done. It's, it's over. I don't even know how to begin to tell you that you're going to be able to rebound in the present course of action. Can I be honest with you? Um, that story really didn't happen at all. But it happened in an entirely different way and it's happened over and over. It's people that come and they say to me, Tom, I'm really struggling with my Christian walk. I just feel like my walk is kind of dead with the Lord. There's kind of nothing going on. I feel like when I say my prayers or when I do pray, it's kind of a bounce off the ceiling. And I say to them, okay, tell me about the kind of time you're spending with Jesus. What does it look like? Tell me about the time. You're really not spending any time with Jesus. No like conversations. Well, I pray before our meals. I make sure you don't do that. <coughs> What's your time look like that? Really, not a whole lot. Well, tell me about your nostalgia with Jesus. I mean, do you look back on the day that you became a Christian? Do you think about what God did, what He called you to? Do you think about that? You know, it hasn't even dawned on me to think through that. What about God's Word? But you have a Bible at your house. Is there any time you just open up God's Word and just kind of read, even if it's just like discipline, just making yourself, but just read about Jesus? No, it's on the shelf somewhere. It's in a box somewhere. I'm not totally sure where that Bible is. We own one. It's there. It's a big one. But I just don't know where it's at. And I said, well, have you, you know, you ever sought out, you know, like, if you sought out mature Christians that might be able to help and guide you through this, maybe disciple you or work through that. I've never really thought about this kind of, my, this kind of first step, first thing I've ever said. Now, you just do the math quickly. What is 
look like in the life of a Christian? How vibrant does that look like? What does Christianity function like when we don't ever spend time with God? One thing we know for sure in the story of Zacchaeus is that he has spent time with Jesus, however short a time it was, and he emerged incredibly transformed and new in his life entirely. There's a great danger in the contemporary Christian world. It is that we claim Christ, yet we don't spend time with Christ. And all the time God is saying, and Jesus is saying, I so want to spend time with you. I so want to build into your life. I so want to transform you. Those little areas that you talked about in your life where you said, I, I've got to make a change. Something new has to happen. I am so ready to walk through that with you and bring you the life that I think you really want to live. And yet, the time with him is often limited at best. So the bottom line is, transformation doesn't happen to our lives. We ask ourselves, if, if the Holy Spirit empowers people, if the Holy Spirit comes into people's lives and transforms them and it makes them new, if Jesus brings like new life and whole life to us, why is it that I continue to experience this drug life? Why is it that I continue to experience just this mediocre spiritual existence? Why is it I don't experience what I hear when people teach and when I hear when people tell testimonies or what I read at times when I open up my Bible and read? And I can tell you if I will it simply, it's most often time with Jesus, spending time and going before Him and letting Him transform me in the process. So I'm going to walk through just a couple things here in our remaining time. And if you have if you have paper and pen, you can write these as notes, but they'll all be on the screen for you as well. Talking about change, transformation. What does Christian transformation look like? One thing is it's it, real change starts with new life. It's not just a new leaf. Have you ever used that phrase? I, I'm going to turn over a new leaf today. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It's, it's January 1st, and starting on January 1st, well, not never January 1st, because, you know, you, it's, you got the leftovers from the 31st, so you're going to eat those. But starting on January 2nd, I am going to go on a new diet program. I'm going to drop 20 pounds, and I'm going to get healthy. I mean, I'm going to really just walk out the stairs. So I am going to really get healthy starting on the 2nd. Well, we'll be in the 2nd, because... Um, the second Friday, that doesn't make any sense to start something on Friday. So, always start on Monday. The fifth, I am on it, and I'm starting a new thing. That's turning over a new leaf, right? It's saying, I'm, I'm going to start something brand new. Brand new. I'm going to start running. Have you ever started a running program? Yeah. That was a great day and a half, wasn't it? No. It was a really effective program. Yeah. That's turning over a new leaf. I'm going to start something new. I'm going to get rid of something old here, turning over a new leaf. Do you know what defines us as turning over a new leaf? It's mainly our power. It's what we can put into it. As, as strong as I am personally, um, or maybe mentally, and some of us are stronger than others, I'm going to put all of that oomph into this thing and turn over this new leaf. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus... There is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. What Paul is declaring to you is your new creation, the newness, the transformation, it is found in Christ Jesus. It's found in Him. If you're in Him, you're a new creation. And what I love about that is that when you come to know Jesus Christ, when you say yes to Him, and you say, this is the way I'm going to live my life following Christ, guess what? 
God doesn't say, you are in the process of becoming a new creation. You're on the path. Good start. He says to you, I declare you now a new creation. You're a new creation at this moment when you say yes to Jesus Christ. You see, it's different than me just saying, I'm going to try real hard in this program. For the last day and a half, I can't really say I'm a runner now. I was a runner for a day and a half. I was a fast walker for a day and a half. That's what we can say. No, when I say yes to Jesus Christ, he declares from his throne immediately, this is a new creation. You're new. See, sometimes we get this a, a little mixed up and we misunderstand these words. We say, if I change, then God will like me more. If I turn over a new leaf, God will look at me and go, now I can love you. Now I can enjoy being with you. God says, all you got to do is come to me and I enjoy being with you. Because you're a new creation in that moment. Tim Keller writes it this way. Religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Because God has said, well, you are my new creation. I embrace you. I love you. And, and now, now I'll, I'll teach you how to live. I'll show you how to live. And it'll involve saying yes to some things you haven't said yes to. It'll involve saying no to some things that I need you to say no to. But you're my new creation already. Do you need that title in your life? I mean, do you need to understand that your Heavenly Father has come to you and say, I can make you a new creation right here, right now. I declare you new if you come to me. That is the hope we live for. That's the hope. And Christians never misunderstand that if you came to Christ, that you really need to like vet that and validate that by now saying, I've got to live now. I've got to live up to a standard. God will transform us. He'll transform us in our lifestyle. He'll show us what we need to change. But the beginning, this beginning is not turning over a new leaf. It's a new life in Christ. And he brings it to us when we're willing to follow him. Second thing we need to know this morning is that real change is a process. It's not a destination. It's a process. Can I tell you, my first four years of ministry, I was a youth pastor. And I was a, a junior high youth pastor to start. I showed up the first night. I had six kids. I didn't know what I'm doing in ministry at the time. I just thought the biggest show I can put on, and wow, these kids is going to be awesome. So we tried to do a few things. I didn't have a clue what we were doing. All right? Some say that's the case today. But uh, we worked really hard. But there was an apartment complex just down the way. This was kind of a transitioning urban neighborhood in Los Angeles. There was a apartment complex just down the way, and beyond that, one other. And we just decided, we're going to go down, and we're going to start playing basketball on those courts. Now, as an 18-year-old, uh, I didn't look much older than those kids, so I could go down, and I could play basketball on it, because I got a, a really a good fit in a relationally connection. So that's what we did. Very soon, we had nearly 50 uh, junior hires that were up at the church. Just because of some basketball was going on, we had a court at the church. We had a scoreboard at the church, and that was the big deal, I guess. So we turned that thing on, and kids came up, and they played. And you know, some of those kids came to know Jesus. Some of those kids on a Wednesday night, when we would talk about Jesus, when we would talk about the hope that we just talked about, they would say yes, and they would come down, and they would pray. It was myself and one by one volunteer staff member and then say yes to Jesus Christ. And I remember Daryl, uh, little Daryl, was, was the first one that said yes to Jesus. 
And Daryl liked to wear a little hat. Um, it had a bunch of insignia on it that I, I don't even begin to understand. But on the side of the hat, it said F-U. And I don't mean just the letters. It was full blown. The whole words were written out, right, on it. Now, I can't say I was a fan of the hat that Daryl wore, but I can tell you this. When I went down to play basketball, or even when I brought him up to play basketball with the scoreboard, that wasn't the thing that bothered me. Might bother me that he didn't know Jesus Christ as a Savior. And so that was our priority, and that's what we talked to him about, to share Jesus Christ. But I remember after Daryl became a, a follower of Jesus Christ, he, he came to youth group one night um, early, play basketball, hang out, and he had his FU hat on. It just happened to be the night that um, the, the ladies' meeting was going on at the church, and they saw little Daryl running around with this hat. I can't remember ever hearing the words coming out of his mouth, but, um, but but I know it was on his hat, so that was good enough for this crowd. And I got a little talking to after youth group that night, a little bit, coming to my office, kind of talking to about this. And I remember in my head thinking, this kid became a Christian like one week ago. He has no idea. He has no idea what, how God wants to transform him and change him and speak into his life. Because... Because it's a process, it's not a destination. It's a process. And what I'm telling you today is that the moment Jesus, you say yes to Jesus, and he comes into your life, he wants to transform you, guess what? You are going to blow it. You're going to do things that another Christian might look at and go, oh, and you just became a Christian, huh? And, and you're, you're going to do that? You're going to be attacked by Satan right away. And you're going to have things that you're tempted with right away. In fact, you might even be challenged with some things of some folks that have been in the church a long, long time that Jesus doesn't even care anything about. They just became a stick in the mud on it some long time ago and they're still sticking on it. But what we do find is that Christ says, now I'm going to transform you. Now I'm going to change you. I'm going to speak into your life. And I'm going to make you what you are today. So I was 18 when I went to college and I started playing college baseball and I did not play. I held a clipboard on the side um, and I basically kept charts for the hitters. They would come to me. I felt like I was the most popular player on the team because they'd come and say, hey, what's he throwing? And I could talk to every player. Um, but I wasn't seeing much of the field. That just was the life of this freshman on the team. But you know, I got a very close relationship with my coach. Tony Marvone was his name. He was a yeller and a screamer, which I'm not. But nonetheless, I got so close to him, and over the course of four years, learned so much about baseball from him that when I left there, with, with no experience other than a little volunteer high school, I was hired by a college to be their head baseball coach. Didn't have any clue what to do, but I took out all my notes from conversations with Tony Barbone, and I put it into practice in that. You know, that is the same way Jesus transforms us. He says, get close to me, let me spend time with you, and guess what? Before you know it, you'll be able to actually turn around and disciple and build into somebody else. That's what Jesus does, and he transforms us. Take a look at this, uh, Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you see the willingness of God there? To say, you come to me, if you walk with me, if you'll spend time with me, I will transform you because... If I begin a work in you, I am going to complete the work. If I start a running program, Jesus says, I'm, I'm completing that running program. I'm going all the way through. Did you know that, for the most part here, the gyms you started are still in existence? Like, like they're still there. 
you can still sign up and you can go back. They're, they're still running. Do you know that the running program that you started, like you can still download it. And the streets are still there to go run on. Um, there's still healthy food in the store to go buy and to transform. You know, all of that stuff still exists. But you stepped away from it. I stepped away from it. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? What Paul is declaring for Jesus is that, look, if he begins it in you, he will complete it. Stay plugged in. Stay connected. For most marriages, when you stand before the, uh, the pastor, you might say some very traditional vows. Do you remember what some of those are? For better or for worse is, is something that's commonly said in traditional marriage vows. And I can tell you, I've walked with some couples when it's for better, and I've walked with some couples when it's for worse. And you know what God says? If I started it in you, I will carry it on to completion, even when there's times where you would declare, this is for worse. Apply it across the board in, in your life. Jesus says, if you just continue with me, I want to transform you. I want to change you. I want to make you new. And can I tell you right now, I'm 43. Am I 43? Yeah, I think I'm 43. 43 years old. Um, and 43, can I tell you, I'm not the same as I was when I was 23. I, mean, I can't find any junk and throw like I could, but I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not the same person. I don't look at our world the same. Things break my heart that I see quite a bit more as a 43-year-old when I see the brokenness in our world than I did when I was 23. When I was 23, I thought one quick like Christian phrase, one quote, half a verse, would fix your problem if you came to me. As a 43-year-old, you know what I know? It takes a relationship. It takes just walking through a relationship. And Jesus said the same thing. If you'll just walk with me, you will see things different later on than you see them today. I will transform you and I will grow you. Listen to what it says in the second year. This is an interesting verse. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises. This is God to us. So that through them, you may share in his divine nature. Escaping the corruption that is the world because of its evil desires. Do you catch what said that you can that you'll that through them you may share in what his divine nature? That's an interesting verse. Do you know what Peter is telling us there? That as you spend time with Christ, as you're transformed, as He makes you new, as you surrender things to Him and learn more about Him, you are actually engaging in His divine nature more and more and more. Now, don't get this wrong. Theologically, you're not becoming God. All right? Don't put that aside. You are becoming more and more and more like Him. It would make sense, right? Remember the beginning of Genesis? We were made in His image. And so as we transform, as we're made new, we share more and more in His divine image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. We all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's what He wants to do in our life. Can I just tell you this one question? It's a process. It's a process. God wants to take you from where you're at now and He wants to transform you and keep moving you forward in your Christian growth. But it will not happen if we don't spend time with Him. George Barna is a Christian statistician. You, you may be familiar with some of his things. Every few years, he releases certain surveys and things like that, and there's a publication coming out, which is informed. It'll be out in about three months.
But the stats were released here recently. And can I tell you, uh, believers in Christ, the stats were not good for us as Christians. Weren't great stats. One of them was this, for people that call themselves regulars and attenders of the church. So that's self-declared, regular attender. Uh, they attend church 1.8 times a month. Regular attenders, 1.8 times a month. I got to thinking about that. I was thinking, is there anything in our life that we attend less than half of the time and yet call ourselves regular? But he goes on and he talks about the time spent in God's Word, the time reading, the time in prayer. And these are things that got down to be less than a minute on average for the attender of a church type of things. Now think about it. If I'm saying 1.8 times a month, less than a minute in God's Word, less than a minute in prayer over the course of a week, how in the world am I going to really be transformed by Jesus Christ? How in the world... Is I, am I going to learn about who he is and what he's about and what he would bring to my life? How am I going to be challenged by him to release things in my life and to surrender things that are not healthy for me if I'm not spending time with him? He wants to transform us. His process, the key is the time I spend with him. Finally, it's this. Change is really letting go and, and grabbing hold. It's letting go of things that you know are unhealthy for your life hurting your life, or things that God has said to you, hey, through his word, hey, let go of this. You're like, I don't even know why I should let go of this. I like this. And God's saying, just trust me, let go of it. It's letting go, and it's taking hold of his promises and what he has to offer our lives. Ephesians 4, 23-24 says this, but that's not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard him and were taught by him, because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You were being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new man, the one who created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity and truth. What Paul's writing there is he's telling the Ephesians, look, don't go back to that way of living. Don't go back to that way of thinking. You were being made new. You were walking the process of being changed. And being transformed by Jesus Christ into what he's designed you for, into this divine nature, you are in that process. Don't stop the process. Grab hold of the promises. Grab hold of what he is calling you to and the challenges he's putting before you. To be honest, I mean, there's a few reasons why like, I don't grab hold sometimes or I stop the process sometimes. Um, one, I think because we're stubborn. Sometimes we're just plain, plain stubborn, right? I'd rather figure it out on my own. Um, or I would say things like, funny little statements like, I just feel like I need to go through it, and then I'll learn whether it's right or wrong. Um, can you imagine applying that to like banging your head into this um, brick wall up here? I just feel like I need to go through it, and then decide if, it's, if that's right or wrong, if it's healthy for me or not healthy. Why endure the pain that we learn other people walk through in God's Word? As I read it, I learn, no, that's not good for me. What about this? Um, we're kind of afraid of being tracked. Sometimes we feel like, man, the farther I go down this path of Jesus Christ, even more I'm like, well, that's what i got to do, I guess. I mean, that's what I'll be labeled. I'll be a Christian. Uh, I won't be able to get out there and experience some of these other things in life that I've enjoyed experiencing up until now. I'm going to be kind of locked in. It's like our idea in the world that if once you get married, I mean, you kind of so, you know, play the field for a while, huh? So, because you got to be locked in. 
Well, it's true that you're locked in. But God actually says it's for your benefit, it's for your joy, is what God's Word talks about here. How about this? Because we like to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. Can I just tell you that if God challenges you more and more as the process goes deeper and deeper, it is amazing sometimes how uncomfortable we get because God challenges us. And here in America, contemporary America, comfort is wonderful to us. Sometimes I don't react to this because I'm just afraid. I'm just a little scared of where God is leading me. What would He call me to? It's like the, the kind of joke that we used to say. Well, don't you know? Don't become a Christian. Don't come into ministry because God will have you you know, on a mission field in some tribe somewhere out in the woods and have any water and bathroom or anything like that for the rest of your life because God is up there just wanting to send you there life. So we're afraid. We make up reasons to be afraid. Though God's word doesn't support that per se. In fact, God's word actually tells us you don't have to be afraid because of the Holy Spirit. Here's finally, this is important. Sometimes we don't want to change in our life because change just hurts. It hurts. To stand up and to say, and I've been present with some men that have done it, for, to stand up and say, I'm an addict. I'm addicted. Addicted to alcohol. Addicted to pornography. To stand up and to declare that, and now it become public for you to start dealing with it, guess what? That hurts. That's painful. That's scary. But here Jesus is saying, if you'll just push back to that, past the comfort zone, I will bring this real, incredible change and transformation in your life. So this morning, I just want to invite you. If this is a, a time in your life where you are just like we said at the beginning, saying something's got to change, holistically something has to change in my life, I'm going to invite you first, if you don't already, to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. To let him declare you a new creation this morning and to begin the process of transformation. He looks at you as transformed immediately by declaring you new. And then he works with us and he walks with us in the process. If you're already a Christian this morning, but you're like, I just don't understand why I'm just walking through this fruitless Christian life. Can you evaluate the time you're spending with Jesus? And this morning, would you just know it going away? The transformation comes in the time we spend. Isn't that true in anything in life? The more time we spend with it, the more we become like it, or at least efficient in it. God wants to say, I become like me. Enjoy this growth of my divine nature by spending time with me. And then finally, maybe you're this morning, you're, you've been on that process and you just kind of let go a little bit this morning. Maybe for you, you just need to take One of those things I just read has kept you from moving forward. And this morning you're like, time to get back on. Time to go. Time to grab hold of this. If that's you this morning, I just want to take a moment and pray for you if you wouldn't mind. If you bow your head and close your eyes with me. Father, Father, why, why come to church if there's not power in your name, power in your spirit to transform our lives. Lord, why spend time reading your word if it's just simply a, a story of things? Lord, why spend time in Bible study and prayer and with Christians? And Lord, if, if the truth is that you don't really come into our life and transform us. And Father, I've been in this long enough to know that there are Christians that get to the point where they just say, 
I've been doing this for years, 10 years, 15 years. I just don't see this transformation power in my life. Father, this morning I just pray that they would evaluate the time that they spent with you. And Lord, not that it's like a start clock, end of clock, and I, you know, I get ready points for more time, but that quality time of going before you and learning who you are, what you have to offer, how you want to change my life and challenge me. Give me a glimpse of what the end product is, even, Lord. If that's you this morning, if you just know you don't want to continue a mundane Christian existence, but you know you want to, you want to continue a life, you want to embrace a life, full surrender, that Christ will transform you. Would you just do that this morning, right now, just in your quiet time as you're sitting there, even as I'm talking, would you just go before God and do His business? Lord, forgive me of claiming you on the side of living for me in the daily world. Father, I can't continue like this. What you're really doing is you are putting your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. The process begins. This transformation comes to you. But know this, even though there might be much that Jesus wants to speak into your life and work with you on, that at this moment, right here, right now, God declared you a new creation. New creation. And as he says to the Ephesians, you don't need to go back to that old stuff. You don't need to go back to that old way of thinking. You are made new. Lord, we claim it, we own it, grab hold of the Lord this morning, we pray in your son's name. Hey, if this week there's just something particular on the subject line that you need to talk about, would you put it on the card before you drop an offering in just a few minutes? And, and this morning, like, if this is the morning you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ, and you just want to know more about that, or we can come and pray with you about that, just let us know on the back of that card. We'd love to do that. This week would be, be wonderful. Well, we have a, uh, a couple this week that graduated from high school that we wanted to take uh, a moment, and one moment was able to be here with us this morning. So, Mr. Logan Cartrell, would you come on up here? Come on here. <laughs> You're all graduated. It's just high school, right? All done. Done with life. You know everything. Um, all right? <laughs> oh, since he was five, he's not everything. So, that's good. We're really, we're really proud of you. And not only that, but I mean, we're proud of you graduating and getting through, but this is graduating with some pretty significant honor in our society. And tell me what the others were for you. Magna cum laude. I will graduate that one. So, what's next? UNC Charlotte. Very good. In the fall. All right. Well, we're really excited for you. We've got a little devotional Jesus calling for graduates that we wanted to put in your hand and just let you know how much uh, we're proud of you and care for you here. So, all right. All right. Western Guilford High School, just right down Stagecoach Trail here as well. So we'll make sure he gets this 
this book as well. We're going to invite our ushers to come and take uh, our morning offering. If this week uh, you did not receive the building update, pretty significant news on our building update. If you did not receive that email, then that would mean that um, you're not in the database correctly. Now, um, it could be your fault. Probably my fault. So uh, if you would this morning, I'd love if you just put on the back of the card, give me the email, write your email, um, and we'll make sure that gets updated in your name and time. If you're new with us this morning and you want the emails that we send out, just write it down there. We're happy to send that out uh, to you this week as well. Even if you are like, oh, what's this building thing going on? Go ahead and get your email. We'll be happy to update you on all that. So we're into a new month, so uh, we'll start over on our building pledges as well this month. And so let's invite our ushers to come take our, our morning offerings. Like always, uh, you can go widowbills.org and, uh, and, or excuse me, widowbills.org, and you can do your online thing if you need to come prepared to do that. So we're going to invite our praise team to lead us out. So would you stand and we'll do that. <laughs> 